Ready? I'm always ready, man. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Never ready. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, here we go. Hello and welcome back to the study of podcast in the Ring RC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm right, man. Thanks. Toasty. How are you? Actually, very. It's really warm in here. It's really hot. <laughs> Crank the heat up. Yeah, I didn't want to fall into that trap of, you know, just turning the one heater on. When I first arrived in Berlin, I showed some restraint in winter, but now... It's a cold one this year. It is a cold one. Reassuringly cold, actually. Yeah, not wanting to go straight on the climate change, but basically the winters have been getting progressively warmer since we both moved to Berlin. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. The so Long John's only came out once last year. Apart from going to the Olympic Stadium, which I don't think counts. No. Because no. I think you need, you need Long John's there even in the spring. It's just freakishly cold in that stadium yeah. all the time. Yeah. But yeah, but, but they've, been, uh, they've been out many a time already this year. Yeah, I'm all over it, frankly. How was your weekend? It was uneventful, rather like the footballing weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, segue. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to today's show, bit, quick bit of admin. Um, I should have a piece going up on the ringer this week. I'll be on Wrighty's house on Wednesday, and we're going to do the Women's Super League on Wrighty's house this week. Wright and I. Uh, we're also going to talk about Wayne Rooney's retirement from playing, and also some Mesut Özil stuff. So yeah, don't forget Wrighty's house on Wednesday. Oh, Mesut. Oh, Mesut, Mesut, Mesut. Yes. I, mean, I know I've said this before. Hey, I said this the before. Dream is over. I know we're going to do. <laughs> that was actually quite good. I know we're going to do a lot of admin now, but I just want to quickly jump in and say, when I saw that tweet, and Özil arriving in Fenerbahce, sad, wasn't it? Ryan, like he gave so much to Arsenal. Yeah, I know he got paid loads, but he gave so much to Arsenal. He was such a big part of them to leave like that. I know. Yeah, I, the piece that I'm writing is about Özil, and um, yeah, part of it was just like, you know, snuck out in the dead of night. And that's exactly how it felt. That's how it was. Yeah. 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 Awful. Oh, okay. man. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Also, our outros playlist on Spotify. Search for Stadio Outros on Spotify. Basically, a playlist of every tune we play out on each episode in a nice little playlist, the newest one at the top. Any other admin? We good? I think that's it. That's it. Oh, if you listen to us on a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. That would be lovely if you can. And. Yeah, I think that's it. So today we're going to talk a bit about the Spanish Supercopa. That was actually probably one of the wildest games of the weekend. We're going to do some Premier League quickly and some stuff from the Bundesliga and a couple of bits from Serie A. And yeah, so we'll get into it after this. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. 
tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Before we go into the stuff that seems probably more newsworthy yeah. in terms of what got the highlights, Athletic Club have their first trophy in six years after beating Barcelona 3-2 after extra time in the Spanish Supercopa. This was a really entertaining game. I want to give massive props to Marcelino because he's only been in charge a couple of weeks at Athletic. And his first two victories have been massive. Real, Real and Barca. Yeah, 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 they beat Real Madrid in the semis and they beat Barcelona in the final. I mean, this is a club that are 12th in La Liga, have been kind of struggling for a couple of years up and down, really. Yeah. But I'm really happy for Marcelino. And he, read this, he, he made, made this amazing quote afterwards where he said, it's all down to the players. They deserve to be here after their work last season. So he's, he's crediting a lot of the work that happened before he got there. And I thought this, this awareness yeah. was amazing. He said, this also belongs to Adarit, San Jose, Benyat, and the previous coaching team. Brilliant. And I just thought that was such a wholesome quote to not pass it off as his own massive achievement because he really, he really could have flexed in that scenario. Like, he could have, yeah, yeah. Come in, new manager. Recovered from a defeat by Barca. Exactly. To beat Real Madrid and then beat Barcelona to secure their first trophy in six years which was also a super copper. Yeah, just really happy for Marcelino, really happy for Athletic Club. The game itself was super good, I thought. It was funny because it had an intensity that even sort of the celebrations of each of the goals, you saw it was, mm. this meant a lot to both yeah. sets of players, a huge amount. And that sounds like an obvious thing to say, but these are clubs that really need a trophy. Barca need a win. They needed a win badly. And the concern for them is, the man of the defeat exposed all the deficiencies that we've been talking about for Barca for a long time. The command of the box is just not there for Barca. The concern for Barca is that this defeat had all the strengths and weaknesses. And obviously we're going to get to the symbolic moment towards the end. We won't talk about that right now, but the symbolic moment at the very end being like, it's only so much magic that can resurrect a team or a squad. Mm. And the one thing, just to switch it back to Bilbao very quickly, so athletic, the winning goal, stunning, stunning, oh, stunning winner. My God. First of all, there are positives for Barcelona because I think Antoine Griezmann is looking like a Barcelona player finally. Yes, and he's had a run I of think. games where he's now looked the part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and he's yeah. gradually been putting in more, more frequent good performances for Barcelona, mm. playing more centrally. Yes. Well, there's a really interesting thing about the Suarez sale, for example. Like when Suarez left for Atleti, a lot of people thought that A, he needed to leave Barcelona. B, they were unsure about selling him to a direct rival. Mm which is why I think he was rumoured to go to Juventus, wasn't he, for a while? Mm, yes, yes, but can get the passport sorted. Yeah, but also because of Suarez's form for Atleti, I think it's still the right sale. And it I was, think that... Yeah, it was, right, it was right to sell him, yeah. You're seeing this now with Griezmann, getting more opportunities to play centrally as opposed to like... Griezmann this season strikes me as someone who, you know, at last year's school dance, he just like, he was too intimidated, just stood on the outside tapping his feet. Yeah. And then the following school dance, straight in with the worm. Yeah, he is, yeah. Well, look, and it, just to sort of, and to jump on your analogy as well, and just to give it some more ballast as well, Neymar 2014, again, very deferential, and then Neymar 2015, and it, the big change in Neymar was the body language. Yeah. And the thing about Griezmann is actually the, the skill set, the purchase of Griezmann made sense on paper. Why? Because what was Suarez? High intensity, number nine, pressing centrally on the shoulder. And so it made sense to an extent when you see him at Atleti, what he was doing, you might think, well, he was doing a Suarez job there. The problem is it was a psychological thing as well. Mm. You know, playing as, as Suarez does and being on the shoulder, because for France, obviously, he got most of his success as a second striker. And at Atleti, he played on the shoulder, but he didn't have as much of the ball. And I think one thing that 
Griezmann hasn't done and he's adjusting to is being in a high possession team playing as the out and out nine. That is a new thing psychologically and it's a new thing to adjust to under all that pressure. Mm. But going through the goals as we will, we see that he's adjusting to that now. Yeah. It was a really smart finish for the first. Yeah. Jordi Alba cuts it back. Messi kind of scuffs the shot and then Griezmann finishes. Yeah. The thing I liked about the second Griezmann goal was that when the moment when he scored it, Messi was 20 yards away and not involved. And I thought, <laughs> ah, Barcelona, we have an attack because we're not relying upon these players to feed each other. Like the whole oh, point of Griezmann is to take pressure off Messi. Mm. And seeing Messi just at size celebrating, I was like, this is wonderful. Like, this is how it's meant to look for Barca. Mm. But unfortunately, the attacking wiles of this team can't cover for their defensive issues. And this is the real challenge, I think, for Barcelona still. I mean, there's, there are leaks all over this team, yes. I don't think Koeman is the guy. But even if Koeman wasn't there, there would be recruitment issues at centre-back, for sure. Yeah, well, the, the weird thing was that Samuel Lintiti didn't play because he, when he's come in for Barcelona, he's looked pretty good. And Barcelona have looked a little bit better at the back. I think Koeman is a centre-back himself by training. I wonder if there's an element of, I have my favourites, I know what I'm doing, I know how I like my setup. And Umtiti is just a variable. He's an additional variable. In the game of this magnitude, he might be thinking, well, because you've got like Araujo coming in as well. You might be like, well, Longley is maybe the senior partner in that. Mm -hmm. Sorry to kind of state the most obvious thing that you'll probably hear on a podcast this week, but like Barcelona really missed Gerard Piquet. Even Gerard Piquet not in spectacular form, they just miss him there. Mm. But yeah, both goals for Griezmann kind of very similar cutbacks. Well, first one kind of got diverted by Messi for Griezmann. The second, a straight cutback from Albert. The goal in between, the equaliser for Athletic was amazing. It was a lovely assist from Iñaki Williams, who I thought played really well. The question with him is, I wonder if Marcelino can turn him into a, a volume goal scorer. He just looks like his finishing is massively improved though. And, That's why, um, that, well, this is the thing. This is what I mean. Yeah. I, I'm thinking this could be, and some credit to the previous staff as well, the coaching staff, because that was improving under them too. But mm -hmm. I'm just wondering now if he kicks on from here. I mean, I hope so because he's looking really good. He's looking like a massive problem in Yaki Williams. And he's always been, I think he's always been a problem for people just because of his skill set. But I think that it was kind of honing it. Yeah, absolutely. Getting in position. He always got in Yeah, the yeah. peaks were huge, but yeah. they were too few and far between. I think now starting to do it more consistently, kind of very much like we're saying with Antoine Griezmann becoming more consistently a Barcelona player, quote unquote. Mm. Um, but I mean, it, it, Williams' pass for Oscar de Marcos' equaliser, which was only came a couple of minutes after Griezmann opened the scoring, was so beautiful. And it was kind of, it really reminded me actually of the clipped ball that Messi would often play. Right, right. Are we seeing a, quite a Calvert-Lewin type thing with Williams where he basically has done all the other jobs of a striker apart from really score consistently? Mm. And now he's handled all of those. Because there's a moment when he missed the chance. He missed the chance in the first half and it wasn't the worst miss. It was a, came to him in the angle and he, and he hammered it and it went like mm. narrowly wide. But the reaction of Marcelino was like, you're a nine. Mm. You're a nine. You put that on target. And it's almost like he's done everything else. We've seen him like play the lone striker. We've seen him play on the break. We've seen him play as a support. We've seen him do all of that. He's done all the work. He's done all the kind of the blue collar stuff, right? Mm. And now it's like, okay, now it's time to be a marquee nine. Mm. And I, I think I, just, I really love him, man. Yeah, I think he's great. I really love him. Yeah, he's a very, very wholesome player. I think this whole, this whole thing shifted on a double change though. Really? 
Yeah, I think taking Pedri and Dembele off when Kuman did was a really poor decision. Because you bring on a number nine in that scenario in a game that you're 2-1 ahead and you switch very different midfielders in for each other, you shift the whole balance off, I think. And also, like, you bring in, yeah, I mean, Brathwaite maybe has given Koeman faith in him, but it's not really about the individual. It's about, like, you know, Pedri's retention, Pedri's ability to penetrate. Having Pedri on the field, basically, for 90 minutes, basically, if Pedri's not tired, Pedri stays on. I know it sounds mm. terrible, but mm. if there, he's one of those players who can just receive the ball in pockets of space. And I know we've made the Iniesta comparison before, but I think about that time when Iniesta was against Spartak Moscow, the famous moment where he's out on the left wing and he keeps the ball for like 30 seconds and beats three men. That's like a Pedri thing. You mm. can just hammer the ball to him high and wide and he'll basically do what you want Brathway to do in that situation. And it was actually quite a kind of, it's quite a sort of 1980s English manager type thing. Bring on the big man, the target man, have him hold up the ball high up the field, where actually there was maybe another goal for. Sometimes you've got to go back to go forward and bring on a striker at 2-1 isn't always the most progressive move because what Brathwaite gives you in, you know, he's, he's a good player, good link-up player, but you do lose a bit of fluidity. It completely shifted the balance and Barcelona never looked right after that, I don't think. And I mean, Villa Libre got the equaliser two minutes after the subs were made, which sent it to extra time. And then Iñaki Williams with, an, like you said, an absolute beauty. This goal was so good, man. Like, nothing Tostegan could have done about it. No, no. If you haven't the seen it, basically, he gets the ball kind of on the left-hand side of the box, cuts inside, and pings it to the far post, off the post and in. Del Piero style. It was so good, man. It was so good. But I'm happy for Munayin because he's been there for like, I mean, he's, he's, like the guy, Ab- he's like the Abraham of that team. He's mm. like, you know, been there for hundreds of years. But for him to get that trophy is really amazing. And for him to play such a pivotal role as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get to the existential red. <laughs> I forgot I got two tweets about that. Existential red for none other than Leo Messi. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the last time Messi got a red card. He got one for Argentina. Yeah. So this is the first, his first club red card. This to me, I think is a... Right. I'm interested to see what you say about this. I'm interested. Okay. So my theory on this is that for years and years and years, he got the shit kicked out of him. I'm like, I'm with you. I'm with you. Good, 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 good. But you can stomach getting the shit kicked out of you if it's for something. Here we go. Love it. Go on, carry on. You're good. But Keep when going. it stops being for something and you're not getting much help and you yep. don't even have PK coming over at every minute to fight your corner. Right. It just gets a little bit too much. And he did get, it was a little bit of shithousery. And then he just, I mean, he, he totally deserved the red, by the way. Yeah, he did. 100%. He did, and he, he knew it as well. And I think he, he, he looked like when he was going off, he was a bit like, fuck, I've snapped. Yeah. I finally snapped. He was shaking his head, but not at anyone else. Not at anyone else, no, at himself completely. It was just pure frustration. I'm trying to do all this shit. I've been trying to do all this shit for years. Do you know what it was? It was just like, I'm tired. Do you know what's funny about it as well? I, I, lo- I love that you mentioned this because it's very easy to take a, a red card like this and treat it as a metaphor for wider things, which of course I will now do. buckle up everyone yeah buckle up Messi against Athletic even in this game this game was a microcosm quite quite early on this game Mm. I think he earned a free kick with someone basically like scrambling all over the back of him and this is Athletic as well they always go hard after like creative Barca players they did this to Messi for years did it to Neymar Neymar took particular joy in playing against them Neymar scored a lot of goals against them because he loved it and 
Messi swinging at that guy after he was gone. It was so poignant even where it happened. It happened 35 yards from their goal. Mm. There was still so much work and my memory, there was still so much work to do until they got the ball into the net. And my memory in that moment went to, when I think it was they beat them five, beat Athletic 5-2. When Messi gets the ball, they're playing in yellow. Messi gets the ball on the edge of the box and basically runs across the entire top of the box and basically outwits four athletic players and flips the ball the outside of his left foot, I think goes to Suarez and they score and it's 5-2. And it reminded me of all those amazing performances Messi's put on against Athletic. Mm. And Messi being like, we used to have these easily. Mm-hmm. We used to be like, you know, he scored like perhaps my favourite Messi goal ever is against Athletic, the stop motion one. Like he's been running right against this lot for years and he's like, really? right. yeah. And it's like, you keep, Oh no, 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 not even the copper. This was in the league. When the one Fabregas puts oh, his hand okay. on when Fabregas puts his hand on his head, Fabregas raises his hands to his head. This is the thing. Like Messi has I wrote that piece about Messi for the Stadio site in like what, October, November, whenever it was. The thing that makes him so special is that you can start a sentence about a goal he scored where he picks the ball up on the halfway line and you have no idea what goal he's talking about. Whereas ninety nine point nine percent of other players, you know like for example, yes. if you talk about Maradona picking the ball up on the halfway line, yeah, you, you know, know exactly what goal people are going to talk about. You know, yeah. Or one of two. With Messi, I mean, he has like three or four just against Athletic. The one I was thinking of is when he cuts down the right-hand side, cuts back in, cuts, and like, it's the season they win the treble. And Suarez jumps over it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But whereas this one I was talking about was when he gets one into the box and there's like stop motion, he does the hesitation dribble and loses one, the defender actually rotates on his (laughs) axis. (laughs) And the goal is so spectacular that Fabregas actually raises his hands to his head before he celebrates in shock because it's like nothing you've seen. He dematerializes on the edge of the box. And I just think that Messi in that moment, even the punch, the swing at the back of the guy as he was jogging mm-hmm. away, it's so kind of like, it's such a loss of tempo. You think of all the times Messi's been kicked and Messi's been kicked hard for years. And you look back and be like, it's not that that would make Messi snap. It's the cumulative effect. Yeah, man. It's just, yeah. yeah it's, it, it, I, I think it's one of those red cards where it's like, you get why it happened. Of course. It was absolutely a red and he deserved it, but you can also understand. Yes. Um, I mean, the very yeah. definition of an existential red. And can I say as well, I'm really... Um, it, was, it was definitely an existential red. You know what's so amazing? Like, Am the I fact, still here? The fact that Stadio listeners basically was straight on it on Twitter going, existential red, existential Yeah, Match St. Paddy said the most existential red, I think. Yeah. But uh, man, huge props to Athletic. They thoroughly deserved it. Being Real Madrid, being Barcelona. Um, massive achievement for Marcelino after just a couple of weeks in charge. And um, all eyes on the league now. All eyes on league. All eyes on league. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a couple of steps forward and one back for Barca. Mm. It's not the end of the world losing a Super Copper, I don't think. No, it's not. Could have been really, really good just to keep everyone quiet for a little bit, I think. I think actually it was good for them in the long run. Because then they can be like, never forget how this feels. Yeah. Because I think in a weird way, a Supercopa would have been too easy for them. Presidential election, Koeman's there. They just quote, no, no. They needed actually a bit of a bloody nose, to be honest, I think. Interesting. Sounds cynical, but I think they needed that moment of, don't forget this. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man, I want to talk about the biggest fixture of the weekend in the Premier League. Backcountry Derby. Oh, you fuck, you stole my joke. <laughs> I know you because I know you. You didn't even let me build it up, man. I know because I know you. I was going to do <laughs> two famous old rivals. The pendulum swinging. <laughs> sorry, do you know what? I should stop doing that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's because I know oh, you. Man. I'm sorry. You just love jumping in. It's just, it's just your thing. Two-footed. I, <laughs> I feel guilty now. I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. No, man. you don't. Don't lie. You're not sorry. <laughs> if anyone's sorry, I'm sorry for That's starting this podcast this in the podcast. first place. This chain of events. <laughs> I'm trapped now. Devastating. Big win for Big Sam. Huge, actually. And we talk a lot. I mean, I talk a lot about that West Brom first half against Chelsea and the attacking display that we saw there. We, I didn't think we'd see an attacking display of that quality under Big Sam so soon. But shout out to West Brom because obviously this is a really great fiction. It's funny, sometimes a, a derby can give you a mojo back. Mm. Um, and it, you know, Wolverhampton Wanderers, really, the loss of Diego Jota. It's a thing. And Jimenez was out as well. Who's the leading yeah, Jimenez, scorer. I think, was a big, was a big yeah, mess. So they, were, they, you know, they, they were a bit shorthanded, to be fair to them. Um, Fabio Silva with a lovely finish still. Mm. But West Brom, good value for their win. I mean, they... Well, thing, I mean, it was a classic, it was a classic West Brom, well, yeah. not West Brom per se, but I think a classic Sam Allardyce away victory. Right. Soak up a lot of the ball, two penalties. I mean, not that the penalties are necessarily a factor of Sam Allardyce teams, but... No, Wolves had way more of the ball, way more shots, created way more chances, but kind of got stung by a few sucker punches from, from West Brom. But it wasn't, I don't think it was, it was one of those games where I don't think it was, it wasn't like a robbery yeah, or anything. No, not at all. Not at all. It was um, a standard, I think it was a fairly standard derby, high intensity. Just a shame there wasn't a crowd there, to be honest. Oh man, um, that's the thing about derbies like this. It's just, it's always such a shame that there aren't crowds there, especially for a game like this, because it was only West Brom's second win of the season. Right. They closed the gap on Fulham to a point and they're five points behind Burnley, but Fulham and Burnley both got games in hand. But they've, they're pulling away from Sheffield United anyway. I mean, not that that really matters because obviously they're in, still in the bottom three, but I think it's going to be really difficult for them to stay up. But we've seen this before with Sam Allardyce teams occasionally. If they start getting a march on, yeah. they can really leap a few places in a matter of weeks. And, and the problem with this, not the problem, I think the thing about the Premier League at the moment is that you see how, look at Man City, for example, how quickly they can march, and how quickly they can all of a sudden, you just look at the, you, you don't look at the league table for two or three fixtures and the next yeah. time you look at it, it's like you're looking at a different season. Yeah, and the way they're playing as well, like they've completely yeah. reconfigured. Well, not, not completely, but they've just clicked. Mm. But anyway, props to West Brom because that's a massive win for them. Much needed win. Speaking of Man City, do you want to touch on that quickly? Yeah, why not? Very quickly. Shout out to Grace Robinson uh, at Grace for Football who was like, it's their league to win. Now, Manchester City blew away Crystal Palace 4-0. Two goals from Stones. Gundogan is looking orchestral in that midfield. And when Gundogan does he's that... He's great, man. When he's on... Do you know what? This is the thing. He's someone that's... He was talking like four and six, I think. When Gundogan scores, he does this in clusters, right? And when Gundogan scores, because he's not a greedy player, it means that the midfield is working so, so well because scoring's like his icing on the cake. Mm. And so it means that he's finding these pockets. He's finding space all over the place. Um, 
De Bruyne with an extraordinary assist for the opening goal. And there was, a, and just watching, there was a moment in the first half watching this game when I saw Eze tracking and there were two midfielders, there was one either side of him and he was just pressing and he was working out who to press because there, were, there was always an overload on him in central areas. And it wasn't that they were kind of marking him or hassling him. It was obviously Guardiola identified someone like him as a threat. And the amount of times he pulled out to the left centre of midfield and there were just two men, there was always, always a spare man for him to deal with. And mm. Palace just never got out of their, they never got into their rhythm, to be honest. Rare um, for Palace, because they've done quite well at the Etihad over the last few years. They really like, have. In, yeah. yeah, no, right. So this actually, in a funny way, was a kind of a statement victory because... I think that's a fair shout, especially after Palace's, Palace's really good performance against Arsenal midweek as well. Right, right. Um, which with, I'm looking out so hard at the moment because Arsenal keep playing the day, the evening that we record in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So I just never have to talk about them. It's amazing. Well, I think what, this, what we can do with this, um, looking at Arsenal's draw against Palace and the way that City are playing, I think that's that result. It's not as bad draw with Palace as, as it looked at the time as, as well as social media everyone goes a bit to OTT yeah and, and basically Arsenal haven't been Palace in five games like Hodgson's just got Arsenal sussed and that's also that's always been quite a hard fixture for Arsenal mm-hmm. like it's not down the years but um, this win was also a bit uh, concerning for City's rivals because Sterling scored a beauty from a free kick mm-hmm. and De Bruyne is just having his run of the you know he's got his run of the team I mean he could play De Bruyne basically could play in about seven positions at this point, he could play as a right back for City. He could play as any one of the three in the midfield because he could play deep line if he had to in certain games. I would love to see De Bruyne at right back just for a lull one game, like if they're you know, friendly. I mean, you could argue, actually, if you look at some of the positional maps he's taken up over the years, you could argue he's been a right back, actually, <laughs> in positional terms. Superb from City. And they just, yeah, look, yeah in the groove. They're yeah, the groove. they look really, really strong. And I think that if you look at, say, for example, I mean, Spurs beat Sheffield United 3-1 with, I think a lot of the Premier League fixtures this weekend were kind of uninteresting in a way, but it, yeah. probably that's quite good for a lot of the, the sides. I mean, I want to uh, give Brighton props quickly, beating Leeds 1-0 is another yeah. really important win for Graham Potter. Nice goal too. Really nice goal. But speaking of nice goals, Tangi Ndombele's goal against Sheffield United, which kind of clinched the game for Spurs. It was 2-1 at that point. Oh my goodness. At first, when I saw that, I was like, that's a cross. And then I saw it again, I was like, that's not a cross. The, the way that his angle is, I've, I think I've referenced a goal like this before maybe, or like an angle like this before, but the way that his body angle is and the trajectory that the ball comes off his foot and goes into the goal, it's like ISS Pro 98. It's a st- yeah. <laughs> In the days of Renarid and Arlarcos and all of these names. You've got to use um, the license to use their actual name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's okay. just, it's, the weirdest trajectory and such an amazing goal. And I know that it's not really, it's not news that he's been playing well and has become a really, really important part of that Spurs midfield. But it's something that we've stressed a couple, a number of times that it is really amazing to see him playing that well at Spurs because it did look, it looked worrying for, more for him, I think, because it was, the, I think that, you know, we all saw what happened with the, the talk between Daniel Levy and him in the Spurs documentary. Maybe that, maybe that was it, man. Maybe Daniel Levy's story about, you know, being at school. Yeah. Although, to Mourinho's credit, maybe after so many years of watching Mourinho pick out someone he doesn't like and just go after them, 
if I, and I'm all, I put myself in this category as guilty, I prejudge Mourinho on his treatment of Ndombele because I'd seen him do it to so many players where he takes a brilliant player and hammers them and they never get their confidence. But with Ndombele, it really does seem that it was an issue of conditioning and adjustment. Mm. And he did that. It's exactly as Mourinho said, so credit to Mourinho for that. And Yeah, I mean, is, is the guy that he's doing it is Dele Alli. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, right, that's true. Um, and the... And Dombele, I mean, the build-up of this goal was really lovely. The way he hammered that, I mean, he, mm. all his skill sets in one goal, hammered the ball into feet, got the return pass, and the ball gets floated over him. And it reminded me immediately of that goal that Del Piero scores when Juve are 2-1 um, down against Fiorentina and come back to 3-2. The flighted cross, and Del Piero meets it on the volley with the outside of his right foot and floats into the top corner. It's the only immediate comparison, but this, in a, in a funny kind of way, was just as difficult because when Ndombele hits it, it's almost like a fadeaway jump shot in basketball. You've Super got the defenders hard. pushing Super on, difficult. yeah, and then he floats the ball with the outside of his right and it's on such a beautiful arc that it lands in the inside side netting in the bottom corner. In terms of a technical finish, mm. it was at the very highest level and Ndombele at this point is performing as that higher level as any midfielder, like you could put him in any midfield, I would say, any midfield. You look at all the top teams, top of the league, whatever. You put Ndombele in Bayern's midfield. You could put him in Rail's midfield, whatever. And he would look obviously absolutely in place. Mm-hmm. And ironically, Ndombele is the kind of player that Liverpool slightly need at the moment mm-hmm. to get that midfield yeah. going, if that makes sense. And that's a nice segue onto Liverpool Manchester United, which I don't, do we need to talk much about this? I mean, I thought it was... We talk about it only because it was that given a game, but not because as a fixture, it's, it's particularly that interesting, I would say. I mean, I thought it was, it was a really good point for Manchester United. I think that they didn't need to win the game. They just needed, no. ideally, not to lose it, which they, they didn't. I thought they were... They really struggled in the first half, I thought, Manchester United. But in the second half, I thought they were actually quite good. I will just criticise this about United, and I said this on Twitter. The only thing I'll criticise was an outstanding result for them, an excellent point considering especially these games are not that interesting, really. The one thing I'll criticise is the passing on the counter mm, was really poor. poor. Yeah. And the off- the movement, and I've said this to the United before, you know, I don't like to name names in this podcast, but I criticised Longley a bit much, maybe before, slightly unfairly. And I have to say that Marcus Rashford's um, running sometimes, he, he doesn't hold the line. And it's not just the Rashford thing, but I've noticed with United, they've got so much speed up front. And it's interesting how often they're caught offside from runs in their own half and they'll just play. And I think it's almost, there is an awareness thing going on. It's how you hold the line. You, you saw Mo, uh, Mopai for Brighton's goal and you see him watching the line, watching the line, watching the line before he receives the ball. And I just sometimes wonder if, I don't know if it's the positions they've played or whatever, but United's forwards, and this is something that, shout out to the Red Voices podcast, they, po- they pointed this out as well. Quite funny. They're like they get caught offside so often. It's almost like it's a kink. And you know, players of that speed, players of that quality of movement, they shouldn't be offside that often. Mm. That makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. So that, those are the things I criticise: the offsides and the, and the passing, the transition passing. Just because this is a team that basically its stock and trade is the counter, mm. and you know, Pogba and Fernandez on repeated occasions had the opportunity to launch passes, which by their own standards they'd execute yeah. time and again. And they didn't, actually. Quick shout for Leicester beating Southampton 2-0. I loved Ralph Hasenhutl after the game saying, yeah, the second goal doesn't really matter. 
because we were pushing for the. I love that amazing celebration from James Madison. Incredible, <laughs> socially distant. I'm one of the most Jamie Vardy stats ever, which I love about this. Jamie Vardy has scored five times against Southampton, but never at home against them. Really? Yeah, it's the most Vardy thing ever to score. Oh, I score against the air, but only on the break. It's like a cat that only comes in through the back door. Vardy's like, yeah, I'll score against them, but it's got to be on the counter away from home. Wow. So Vardy, yeah. Before we move on, let's just quickly look at the Premier League overall because we're approaching the halfway mark. If Everton win their game in hand, they go above Liverpool. <laughs> They've responded. Very strongly to the Catfish of the Year award, haven't they? Basically, Ancelotti has just like taken a screen grab of the tweet that we wrote when we announced that Everton were the Catfish of the Year and he's just pinned uh-huh. it on the dressing room wall. Everybody- <laughs> <laughs> he plays our laughter in the, in the changing room. <laughs> but City win their game in hand, they go top. Yeah. But man, it is all to play for up there. And the attitude has to be, I think, the attitude has to be, you know, particularly at clubs like Leicester, um, and Everton, they don't necessarily have the squad depth. If not this, well, if why not this season? If I were Brendan Rodgers, you know, that's a, that's a bit of a leap, imaginatively. But I'm sure Rodgers is quietly saying to his coaching staff, if not his players, let's act like we're going to win the whole thing. Because frankly, why not? Mm. Hey man, if Villa win their three games in hand, they they're got right. a level of poison with Leicester. They're right up there. They're against some tough teams, but anyway. Um, let's take another break. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Let's go to Italy, Derby Italia time. And a big, big win for Antonio Conte. Shall we say a finale. statement victory? Well, it was a statement victory. The statement victory. Lukaku didn't score, but he was everywhere in the best possible way. Interwinning 2-0. Goals from Vidal and Barella at the start of each half. Vidal against his yeah, own side. Yeah, your own people. I'm still bitter that Vidal wasn't bought by United from Bayer Leverkusen. I'm still bitter about that. Really? Years later. I'll, yeah, I'll never get over it. I was talking about it at the time. I'll never get over it. I'm very angry about it. I mean, at the start of each half, 12 minutes, 50 yeah. seconds. Yeah. Just hit them hard and they played on the front foot Inter, which is all you really have to do against Juve, easier said than done. But in this league where they've shown signs of not transition under Pirlo, I wouldn't say that it's almost the sort of, um, you're incorporating Ronaldo into the attack, but you've also got like Federico Chiesa is very much the future of that attack. Juve weren't necessarily poor. It was more that Inter 
showed so much initiative and had some really good chances. Latara Martinez could have got a couple, actually, and maybe should have done. Yeah, I mean, I think this was the major difference between the two sides, which is that Juve just didn't create anything. Yeah. Nothing yeah. of note, I don't think. I can barely remember Inter being under any amount of like massive pressure, apart from maybe like the last 15 minutes where they just kind of let, let Inter kind of uh, let Juve have the ball. But yeah, the Barela goal was, it was super impressive from Inter, but it was actually really simple how they executed it. Yeah. So like Juve pressed them quite high. And then, I mean, Barela had already, he, he assisted Vidal's goal. So a goal and assist for Barela. But Bastoni got the ball in the like left uh, centre back position and just drilled this pass straight through the middle. Stunning pass. You, it was a great. It was yeah. a great pass. But you think like this is <laughs> this is a side with Bonucci and Chiellini as the back two. Yeah. Like these are these are wily old foxes. They should not be getting caught out by a straight ball through the middle. No, no. In, especially in a derby d'Italia, it was really odd. I thought the the actual like watching it play out because it was. Like I say, simultaneously really good, but also it was just alarmingly simple. Big root one energy, yeah. Mm. And I think they totally deserved it, man. I just think that on the balance of the game, I think they they massively deserved it. And it was a really important win because Inter obviously had that stumble against Samp, right? Yes. Which is funny because they've been winning their big games into this year. Well, in the league at least. Yeah, their slip up a couple of weeks ago against Samp was quite worrying for Inter. And obviously the draw against Roma as well was a little bit like. Have they got, are they, are they, are they flagging, are they bringing that kind of faltering mm. Champions League form into the league? But this was. Yeah, especially was because big. they were, because they, especially in the Roma game, after having lost to Samp the week before, they considered that really late equaliser. Right. Yeah, there have been signs there from Inter where you kind of think like, are they actually going to do it again? Like last season, really. Yeah, Like, do they actually really want to do this or are they going to stutter? It's a weird one because they brought in Christian Eriksen, who was meant to be someone that ran their midfield and that mm. just hasn't worked as a signing. And they've had big absences. I mean, since he's been out, they've had like big absences Inter. Mm. But they've got a resilience. It's actually, it's funny because Inter and AC Milan have both shown that kind of toughness, mm. that resolve, you know, like, AC have like had a, they've pulled a couple of draws back from victories, uh, from, from possible defeats this year in really impressive fashion. And I would say, you know, those two teams, they are the top two sides, obviously, but they've shown to me that ability to recover mm. after disappointing setbacks. Yeah. So I mean, we're recording this ahead of um, Cagliari Milan. Inter now level on points with Milan. So that is now turning into a pretty important game. Yeah, yeah. Elsewhere in so yeah, uh, literally the first fixture they play after Musa Gwanga reiterates, always watch Atalanta. They draw nil-nil with Genoa. <laughs> always watch Napoli. Yeah. Big win for Napoli against Fiorentina. Huge, huge, yeah. I mean, that was unbelievable. Two for Insigne. There were some really good goals in this game. I mean, there were so many of them to choose from there. Napoli could release a season highlights DVD halfway through the season, be better than most people's full season already. But yeah, shall we move to the Bundesliga before we get out of here? Yeah, yeah. I want to start with Union Leverkusen because there was a bit of an incident on Friday night. I mean, Union, for the, the actual football side of it, Union with another huge win in a very impressive display, a late winner against Bayer Leverkusen who have hit a really poor run of form. Since that Bayern defeat, man, they have been struggling big time. And that was a turning point. because they It really was. It really, game. really was. I think it was the manner of that defeat as well because it was self-inflicted. The goals they conceded against Bayern, you look back at those and they were both 
neither of them needed to happen. They were both really bad defensive mistakes. And it was almost like they lost not being true to themselves. They should have got at least a point from that game. I mean, it's an English evoker this week as well. And the next, they, they face Dortmund next at home, which is... It's not really a game you want. Tricky. Like, I mean, yeah. Dortmund, Dortmund struggled at home to Mainz. Should have beaten them. Weird defeat. It was a weird defeat, but I mean, Marco Royce missed the penalty and Dortmund just missed loads of chances in the first half. And this was just one of those games that Dortmund have in them, I think. It doesn't, the, worst I thing it, the worst thing is, it was a game that people knew was coming. Yeah, but it's always coming with Dortmund though. I think yeah. that's the thing, like at the moment, they still haven't really got this out of their system. But I think like there were positives without, like again, the pressing was amazing. Mm. The pressing created a load of chances for Dortmund. They just couldn't execute. Holland had a goal disallowed for offside, which was absolutely minimal. But, you know, positives, Mounier scoring, Mounier winning the penalty for Marco Royce just a few minutes later, which he scuffed wide. But Ostunali's goal was just so unbelievable for Mainz. They basically got held back by an absolute worldie. Then again, I'm conflicted because he takes the ball like high on the right, chops all back inside the insider's right foot and takes out two Dortmund players with one move and then hammers it with his left. And I'm a little bit judgmental when players score from distance because there's always that thought of the goalkeeper getting a full sight of it. But it was really, that ball was departing at speed. Mm. That ball looked like it was leaving the EU. It was going fast. It was, you know. But yeah, English Revocal this week in the Bundesliga by Leverkusen against Dortmund. And then uh, Dortmund play Gladbach on Friday, I think. So busy week in the Bundesliga. Yeah. But yeah, back to the game. Union won the game 1-0, keeps them in fifth just a point behind Dortmund. It was marred a little bit by a couple of incidents during the game. First of all, a player who wasn't identifiable telling Leon Bailey to chill were in Germany, mm. which is very loaded. But Nadia Mamiri got booked at the end of the game after Toyshet's goal because he had a bit of an interaction with, was it Florian Hubner? Yeah. Who was alleged to throw a, well, I mean, alleged he admitted it afterwards, so we assume it's true a very xenophobic insult towards Amiri, who was born in Germany to Afghan parents. Hubner went and um, apologised straight yeah. away afterwards. Amiri t- accepted his apology. But then Amiri's brother went on Instagram, on the Instagram stories and said, have some respect, Florian Hubner. Mm-hmm. It's not, you don't, it's, you think you can come and apologise, that makes it okay. It doesn't. It shouldn't have been said in the first place. No. Nope. And it was like, my brother was in tears. Yeah. This like, is a guy who played yeah. for Germany. Yeah. For professional footballer to be reduced to a state of tears with all the things that they hear week in, week out from crowds, mm. it's got to be something that really, because to cut through all of that, it's got to be really bad. And it was like, the point he made was particularly at this point in history, at this point in time. For those who don't know the, the, the surrounding context, Germany have just had an election for their new, the leader of their new, of their, the party that leads the government. And the candidate that narrowly lost is someone who has used rhetoric that you might describe as, is unhelpful in the context. Put it this way. He's used rhetoric that in the current climate of xenophobia we're seeing around the world was unhelpful. So that's the whole context in which this whole thing played out, right? That's mm-hmm. the point we're at in Germany. We're in a difficult point and the, the winner of that election could take the country in a direction which is maybe a bit calmer. But the point being, this is why Amiri and his family, they, you know, his, his brother specifically referred to the time we're in. This isn't the time that players should be saying stuff like that, especially not a time like that. And against the Germany international, like, like, against anyone. But this is the thing against the Germany international. Well, the funny thing is, Ryan, as well, like it was interesting because in my WhatsApp group, um, my football team's WhatsApp group, it was striking. It was the German um, members of the group, were the first ones to be like, my God, like what the hell is this? And they were like really hammering it going. This is unacceptable. 
And it was funny because sometimes when we have these chats on WhatsApp, I don't like to get too involved and talk about race because you don't be the guy that's always like raising it. But I got to say, it was really, um, I'm always encouraged to see how proactive people are in relation to these issues and how quickly they call them out. I'm really, really encouraged by that, I got to say. So the kind of managing director of Union, I suppose that's his title, uh, Oliver mm. Runa, came out afterwards and basically wanted to make his own statement, pulled the whole like, you know, he's in a relationship with a woman who is not white. It is difficult to credit him with these words, basically doing the whole like, did it really happen thing. But then on the other side of it, Urs Fischer came out, he didn't deny that any of this happened. And he said straight away that this needs a full investigation. But that's what you expect from Urs Fischer. This is the thing, it's, it's what you'd expect from Urs Fischer. He's just class. It's what you'd expect from him, actually. Mm. This could kick up some stuff for Union, which has the potential to overshadow the, good, the great things they're doing on the football pitch. Yeah, yeah. You know, like in terms Absolutely. of actually playing football. Elsewhere, Robert Lewandowski is on 21 goals. He scored more goals, I think, than anyone else has in the first half of a Bundesliga season. This guy, man, honestly, against a good, uh, unlucky Freiburg side, I think they kept, kept losing a couple of players, like lost a couple of players during the game to injury. Serge Gnabry also went off with an injury for, for Bayern, replaced by... Leroy Sané, who got massive props from Thomas Muller for setting up the winner, and rightly so. He looked good as well, Sané against Freiburg. Mm. He looked good. It seemed really, it seemed really very, uh, a very pointed, in a positive way, celebration from Thomas Muller and um, mm. praising Sané. I think he's aware of the, the kind of criticism that he's come under. But Lewandowski, man, this guy is, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, maybe we can talk more about the Bundesliga on Thursday because of the round of midweek games. But just very um, quickly on Lewandowski, because I want to I pick up that point you made. You know, they always say, if there's any young kids listening to this, kids listening to this podcast, they always say, make the keeper work. Mm-hmm. He could have scored a second late on, mm-hmm. a 3-1. And it was an incredible strike. It was like bottom left, keep out the tip at round post. And what I love about it, he's always locked in. He mm-hmm. always makes the keeper work. Like he's absolutely, he, he's a Terminator. He's so relentless. It's scary, man. Yeah. And the fact that he gets, seems to be getting better as he gets older is just very worrying. You could tell actually like, Lewandowski playing until he was like 40 or something. You know the time he scored those four goals against Real in the Champions League? If someone had come to you and said, he'll be twice as good at that one day, he'd be like, no way. If someone had when, said- What about no. when Pep put his hands on his head at Bayern? Yeah. Imagine he like telling Pep then, He's not even going to get, he's going to get even better in like six years time. Yeah. He's not close to his peak. going to be like, what? What? Yeah. He's not close to his peak. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, 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 amazing player. Um, Quick note on Germany before we move on. I made a bit of a fuck up last week. Oh no. So when we were doing the Pokal stuff, I was reading off the fixtures and the fixtures that I was reading them from, they had the draw split already. So in my head, I was just like, oh, maybe they've done that already because of Corona and I've missed it. Because usually the Pokal is drawn round by round. Anyway, I forgot to check it afterwards, realised, edited it out. So just to be clear to anyone, the Pokal at the moment currently, as it stands, is still drawn round by round. So leave right. Well, that's also on me. That's, that's a collective mistake because I didn't call it out either. So and also I, I blame, I blame, my, I blame my, uh, my fuzzy, fuzzy illness head. But anyway, yeah. I, I, I have no excuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere else you want to go to before we bounce? Because otherwise I want to talk about something quite funny. I think we're good, actually. Well, shouts to Udi Nachmani. Ah, shout out Udi. How you doing? Good man. He sent us a picture of Vasak Shahir playing Siversport on Sunday, uh, Saturday, sorry, whilst it was snowing in Istanbul and Vasak Shahir playing in orange and black. <laughs> yeah, I saw this. Yeah, it's brilliant. Siversport decided to play it all white. <laughs> Udi said, one for 
Okwongo and Ryan Hunt, although I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they were behind this. I massively appreciate you assuming that this is my kind of energy. That is definitely my energy. Ghost team turning up playing in white in the snow. And they were, I had to look at the picture several, I had to zoom in several times to actually see if I could see the players. It was incredible. So good. Orange ball, yeah. but white kits. <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about before we go? No, I'm good, actually. I'm good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Everything's right. right place. Everything in its right place. If only we could play out on Radiohead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we hope everyone's staying safe and well. well I'm going to be back on Wrighty's house on Wednesday. That'll go up. So we'll probably talk a little bit about Arsenal, maybe. Yep. You and I'll be back Thursday. Indeed. We did a mailbag last week and that was really fun. Maybe we'll do another one plus some Bundesliga. We'll sit, have a look at the fixtures. Yeah, don't forget to check theringer.com forward slash soccer at Stadio on Twitter, at Stadio Football on Instagram. Any slander to at Okwanga? <laughs> We're playing out Drummer. this episode uh, on a track called L'Agent Secret. Fabulous. How'd you find that pronunciation? Magnifique. <laughs> uh, the band name's a lot easier to pronounce. It's by Buzz on the Amazing Dark Entries label. Anything else, Mooster? Nah, all good. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you out. I'll show you out. Take care, everyone. We'll see you Thursday. See ya. No! <laughs>